Wouldn't it be great to know the future? Just imagine how much anxiety that would spare us. The people in Ukraine would know whether or not they'll be able to return to their homes. The Conservative Party, having taken a massive economic gamble, will know whether it will pay off. The refugees traipsing across Europe would know whether their journey was worthwhile, whether a better life really did await them. In times of trouble, it's often the uncertainty, the not knowing what is yet to come, that is the most distressing. Just imagine if you could have full assurance that the future was going to be okay. That knowledge might not make all your present pains disappear instantly, but it would make them easier to bear, wouldn't it? It would give you hope and peace of mind. Yesterday at the men's breakfast, we were talking about the present state of the church on our island and the challenges that we see coming in the future. Our conversation would have been a much shorter and a much lighter one if we just had the assurance that in a hundred years' time, followers of Jesus would be alive and well here on Isla. Knowing something of the future would comfort us, would help us to hold on. Just imagine how much more bearable games would be if Scotland fans knew that one day they would win the Six Nations again or qualify for the World Cup. It would make the present misery seem almost worthwhile. But of course, no human being has this ability. No person on this earth can tell you exactly what's going to happen in a year or ten years or a hundred years from now. We cannot even predict accurately what's going to happen next week. This level of knowledge and power is simply beyond us. Even the average person on the street would agree that only a God of some form, some higher being, can reveal the mysteries of life. Our Bible reading today is on precisely this theme. It tells us that only God holds the future. Only the Lord knows it in full. And that was very good news for the oppressed people of Daniel's day. It told them that despite the destruction of their homeland and despite their present exile and slavery in Babylon, God still held the keys of history. In spite of present appearances, God remained in control. And in this chapter, verbs that relate to revealing be that revealing a dream or revealing truth or revealing mystery or revealing the future, come over 30 times. The message to us is really clear. God reveals to his people exactly what they need to know to make it through life. And that is just as good news to us today as it was to the Jews two and a half thousand years ago. At the end of this chapter, when God has revealed something of the future to Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king turns to Daniel and he says these words in verse 47. Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. We will allow that dramatic statement to structure our thoughts for the next few moments. The first thing that Nebuchadnezzar said was that Daniel's God, the God of Israel and the Bible, 
is the God of gods. In other words, he is above and he is beyond any other object or idol that sets itself up as a god or claims to have divine power. In fact, our God is so far beyond them, he emphatically demonstrates that no other gods exist. There can only be one sovereign of the universe. The God we worship is the God of gods. Following anything else is a futile exercise. How did Nebuchadnezzar come to this realisation? How did God reveal it to him? Well, let's start at the beginning of our passage. Nebuchadnezzar was your typical human despot. He had huge power. He had vast wealth. But he lived every moment riddled with the fear that one day he would lose it all. And one night, this anxious dictator had a dream that really troubled him. And he was so troubled that unwakened from it, he knew he must find out exactly what this dream meant. I guess we've all had dreams at times that were so vivid to us that we went on thinking about them after we have woken up. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's dream was like this, and then some. In fact, it turns out that Nebuchadnezzar is so concerned to understand his dream that he takes steps to ensure that his advisors don't guess. He's not interested in them concocting interpretations that they think he wants to hear, Because he knows deep down he needs the truth. So he sets his religious experts a challenge. Not only are they to interpret his dream for him, but they are to do it without him telling them what the dream was. And if they don't do this, Nebuchadnezzar will have them all killed. And this, of course, sends all the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the astrologers into a blind panic. Because they know they simply cannot do this. We know from historical sources that Babylonians look for all sorts of portents of the future in everyday life. They tried to read the stars and cloud formations. They observed bizarre births and strange animal activity and tried to draw conclusions from it. They even sacrificed animals and tried to fortune tell from the shape of the animal's liver. They used all sorts of sorcery and divination, but there was simply no way they could interpret the king's dream without him telling it to them in the first place. They knew they would be guessing, and they knew they'd be found out. So in great fear of their lives, the pagan leaders of Babylon make a telling statement to their king in verse 11. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they don't live among humans. Wow. What a statement that is. Can you hear the profound sense of futility in that statement? These pagan enchanters and astrologers are basically confessing that their whole belief system is like a religious cul-de-sac. It cannot give any sure word from the outside. And in that admission, we come to see that the Babylonian religion was one that was driven by fear and darkened by ignorance. In biblical terms, it was idolatry. And motionless, speechless idols are useless 
in matters like these. What a confession it is for these religious leaders of the time to state that there is no real God living among them. No one who can help grant the king's request. (coughs) But of course, we now see that the message of the Bible is the complete opposite to that statement of the pagan leaders. For the Bible tells us that there is a God who lives among human beings. There is a God who is real and divine. There is a God who is close enough to be communicated with and powerful enough to step in. And it's Daniel's God. The one true God. The God of gods. Disappointed by his expert's failure and in a typical tyrant's tantrum, Nebuchadnezzar sets about having his orders fulfilled that his advisors are killed. And this order includes Daniel and his friends who, following the miracle of the vegetable diet in chapter 1, are living in the king's court now. And on hearing of the imminent threat to their lives, Daniel and his friends resort to the only option available to them. They start to pray. And verse 18 tells us that they urgently pleaded with God, pleaded for mercy right throughout the day. And then in the night, God gave Daniel a vision. He revealed the mystery of the king's dream. We'll think about that dream in a moment. But for now, let's just recognise this. In answering those prayers, God saved the lives of many people, even those who as yet did not know him. In answering those prayers, God showed himself to be powerfully present and aware of what was happening, despite his people being imprisoned in a foreign land. It may not have looked like it, but Daniel's God remains sovereign and in control of this difficult situation. The following morning, Daniel's taken before Nebuchadnezzar and he speaks these words in verses 27 and 28. No wise man or enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. The Babylonian king is about to learn a very important lesson. That Israel's God is the God of gods. The only God. And he can do things that no pagan power can. You know, many people in our world today still stand on pagan ground. They may not realise it, but they worship the idols of our day. They worship the idols of money and sex and power. They worship the gods of the shopping centre and the sports arena and the stage. And these things may give some momentary pleasure, but they offer no sure light on the future. They leave their followers in the dark. They communicate no idea where life is headed, so they encourage nothing but ignorance. And these events in the Bible were to show the exiled Israelites of Daniel's day that they were not to fear the pagan might of Babylon, despite all of its trappings and all of its splendor. And we need not fear the powers and idols in our world today either. Because we can be sure that our God is the God of gods. Let's return for a moment back to that statement that Nebuchadnezzar made at the end of the chapter in verse 47. 
Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. Well, we've looked at what he meant by God of gods. In revealing the king's dream, Daniel's God has showed all that pagan worship to be absolutely futile. But what does it mean that our God is the Lord of kings? But what it means is that our God is above all human leaders, no matter how powerful they might seem. In fact, in light of God's might, all human leaders are revealed to be very fragile indeed. And to see this, we now turn to the content of the dream. What was it that Nebuchadnezzar saw? Well, the Babylonian king saw a great statue chiseled and carved by human hands. The head was gold and the chest was silver and the belly and the thighs were bronze and the legs were iron and the feet a mixture of iron and clay. And Nebuchadnezzar then saw this great rock that was not made by human hands at all and this rock smashes into the base of the statue and breaks it into pieces. And those pieces were so fine that the wind just swept them away, eventually leaving no trace at all that the statue was ever there. And the final detail of the dream was that that rock went on to become a huge mountain that filled the whole earth. What was all this about? Well, God revealed to Daniel exactly what it was about, and Daniel passed the message on. Daniel told the king that he was the gold head. He was currently in charge. I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar enjoyed hearing that. But Daniel immediately made it clear that he was not king out of any special ability of his own. It was God who had given him his power. It was God who had allowed him to take up that position. What came next then must have shaken that paranoid tyrant to the core. Verse 39. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. After you. No despot likes to hear those words. After you. Very quickly, Daniel tells the king that his kingdom will not last. It will soon be replaced. You see, it was God that gave him his power and God can quickly take it away again. Nebuchadnezzar would only remain in position for as long as God deemed it necessary and beneficial. And after him would then come a whole series of kings and kingdoms, presidents and dictators, democracies and tyrannies. In other words, monarchies will come and go. And many of them will use great force and violence, but not one of them will ultimately stand before God. And it's telling that as you go down the statue in the dream, the metals get harder. In other words, subsequent eras of human history may seem to last longer but they'll be less and less powerful. Gold becomes silver, silver becomes bronze, bronze becomes iron, iron becomes clay. And eventually all human kings enter the landfill dump of history. Nothing made by human hands can stand before the rock of God's kingdom. And eventually once God has demonstrated the full extent of our human fragility, his kingdom will finally come. It will overthrow all that lies before it and will reign forevermore. And this is what it truly means for our God to be the Lord of kings. 
And again, the message of these events to the Jews of Daniel's day was that they were not to be impressed by Nebuchadnezzar, despite how strong he appeared. All the strength he had had been given to him by God and for a limited period of time. Without God, Nebuchadnezzar was very fragile, as shown by his terror on receiving this dream. And still today, the message to us is the same. We are not to be overly impressed by any human political power, no matter how strong they seem to be. Because all human kings and queens are fleeting. We are not to fear them. And one quick look at the history books tells us that this is the case. Nebuchadnezzar ruled the ancient Near East. He went. Caesar ruled the whole of the known world at the time. He went. Hitler tried to crush all of Europe. He went. Mad Putin and his leaders will go. And all the other oppressive states in our world, like China and North Korea and Syria and Afghanistan, they will all go. Even your tyrant bosses at work, one day, will be there no longer. All human rulers that stand against us have feet of clay. All kings of this earth are fragile human beings who crumble before the might of God. And when Nebuchadnezzar comes to understand his dream, he exclaims that Daniel's God is the Lord of kings. He's seen his fragility and he's been humbled by it. We, on the other hand, should be encouraged. Encouraged enough to place our full trust in God. To conclude our thoughts on this passage, let's return to the king's great statement one more time. What was it that he said? Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. Well, we've thought about the God of gods and the Lord of kings. Let's finish with this revealer of mysteries. The chapter ends with Nebuchadnezzar honouring Daniel and praising Daniel's God. On having his dream interpreted, he even goes on to give Daniel and his three friends a big promotion up the royal ranks. After all, why not? They've shown his other advisors to be completely useless. But this is still a deeply ironic scene. Here is the most powerful person in the pagan world lying prostrate before an exiled Jew. Here is a violent aggressor humbled before his captive. It is an extraordinary moment. And as we see this, chills of excitement and flames of hope should be arising in our hearts because Daniel's our man. And Daniel's God is our God. And this great turnaround happens because God reveals a mystery to Daniel. A dream that no one else could know. A future that no one else could fathom or predict. And I want to finish by saying this. As we read on in the Bible, from the story of Daniel, our God goes on to reveal further mysteries. And the greatest mystery of all was how the Lord would finally defeat evil and death and sin. How God would finally restore his creation back to the state that he always intended. The greatest mystery was revealed in Jesus. He is the rock 
that smashes down the statue. Jesus defeated all the powers that stood against God at the cross and the empty tomb. It is through Jesus that God's kingdom will begin in full. And one day he'll return and he'll be king over everything forevermore. Truly our God holds the future. And of course we don't know or understand everything. We will never know exactly what's going to happen next week or how difficult circumstances in our lives will play out in the days ahead. But God has revealed enough for us to hold on to him through the toughest experiences of our lives. Because God has truly revealed that in the end, he wins. And he wins because he is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. He is the one true sovereign God and he is in control. I don't know exactly what you're going through in your lives today. But may this great truth be revealed to the core of your being. That God loves you. He's got your back. And he's going to win. The future is his. And no one can stop him. And if you put your faith in Jesus, the king of kings, then you know enough of the future to always have hope. Because one day you'll see him face to face and you'll be with him forevermore. May this good news inspire us all to keep living for God in our exile today.